Oh, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> I was talking to um, a wonderful lady in our congregation at the beginning in Jarvalicious, and her name's Babs Tudor. And Babs been, has been going to church on Easter for quite a few Sundays, years now, praise God, and still loving God in this season of her life. And she reminded me of when we were um, in the church that we were both a part of in years gone by, and I was just a kid, and she said, do you remember every Sunday, uh, on Easter Sunday, they would begin to sing that hymn, Up From The Grave He Arose. And I said, I can remember it now with a mighty triumph over his foes. Anybody else remember that one? And uh, Babs was sharing with me, she said, I used to love the bit where we were all sitting down and the pastor, that would have been Pastor Biddle, made us all sit down. And when it came to that verse, up from the grave he arose, everybody in the room jumped up to their feet. And uh, she took me on a journey down memory lane today. But you know, for years, for 2,000 years, the people who belong to God have been cheering a cheer of faith for the one who rose from the dead. Isn't that amazing? I was having a conversation with Gina earlier this week and we were talking about how many people actually believe in Jesus. Remember, this was a man born in a manger in a random place called Bethlehem in a nation called Israel. But today, 2,000 years later, There's still over 2 billion people that believe he's the son of God. Don't tell me he was just another normal man. That's more than the population of China, Africa, and America put together, I believe. 2.2 billion people. You're not alone. Don't believe the media when it says Christianity's fading away. 2.2 billion people. That's bigger than any nation's population believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, died on a cross, rose on the third day to pay for the sin of humanity. Come on, we're not alone today. Imagine if you were in heaven today and you could hear the cheer going up from Africa and Asia and England, Europe, America, of people saying, Jesus Christ is not a myth. He's not a historical figure. He's not a concept or a philosophy. Jesus Christ is a real God who's alive today and able to change lives today like he did when you read about him in the Gospels. Do you know what I love when I read the Gospels? I believe in the law of precedent. But if God does something once, he'll do it again. If God will do it for one, he'll do it for anyone. When I read through the Gospels and I see a blind person seeing, I said, God, Jesus, your testimony is the spirit of prophecy. What you did and is recorded in the Bible can be my expectation today, 2,000 years later. Come on, let's let our hearts be filled with faith today. We're not at memorial. Too many um, places around the country they kind of make a big deal of Jesus dying don't get me wrong it was a big deal but then they kind of lose the plot around Easter Sunday to me Easter Sunday is the one where we should have our biggest cheer amen so I want to talk today about that first Sunday morning that changed everything that changed everything 
that Sunday morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead changed everything in history. Maybe I should let Pastor Gina get up one of these weeks and just share some of the things she was sharing with me. Really encouraged my heart how everything in life is affected by his resurrection. Even how we look at the calendar, even how we mark time, dates and years before Christ. There's so much about our everyday life that's actually in position and finds its strength in the fact that Jesus Christ was real and he really died and he really rose again. So I want to talk just for a few moments about that Sunday morning where everything changed for everyone. And I want to welcome you to this morning when we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Again, if you're visiting with us for the first time, thanks for coming. We hope you've enjoyed the praise and worship. I'm sure it's a little bit different to maybe praise and worship that you've experienced in different churches that you may have gone to. But in this place, we just have a passion to give him what is due, to give God the praise. And that may sound a little bit loud sometimes. It may look a little bit emotional sometimes. But this isn't a theory or a concept to us. We really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We really believe he paid for the sin of man. We really believe he's alive and one day he is coming back to collect everyone who believes in him. That's why we're excited. If our praise and worship was morbid, we wouldn't really be believing what we say we believe, would we? Come on, it's true. Now, I want to start today by reading the account of the empty tomb from the Gospel of Mark. Each of the Gospels includes um, a picture into this moment, but I want to speak from Mark chapter 16, that moment when they discovered that the grave and the tomb was empty. Now, we know that Joseph of Arimathea um, provided a tomb for the body of Jesus, In some ways, I was thinking about that yesterday. It was like the first Airbnb, wasn't it? He only needed it for the weekend. He didn't intend living there long. And in some ways, Joseph of Arimathea provided the first Airbnb, but he gave it free of charge. He gave Jesus a place for the weekend. But Jesus said, I won't need it past Sunday. Send the cleaners in after Sunday. I won't need it anymore. It's really weird how my mind works, isn't it? It's crazy living in here sometimes, it is. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Because we know that Jesus wasn't buried in the ground. It was customary in those days to be placed in a tomb. And then a stone that was so huge, not able to be rolled away by a person passing by, sealed the tomb. They were like um, family tombs where families would be buried in. Jesus was in a tomb and a huge stone was in front of it. And the government had put guards and soldiers in front of that 
to make sure that nobody went around stealing bodies because that would have made him a martyr. And the Roman Empire didn't want that to happen. So this was a highly guarded tomb with a huge stone in front of it that no man could move. Now, it says, as they asked each other who will roll away the stone from the entrance, but when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. Now, the different gospel accounts unpack this moment in different ways and have different things happening, but it's the same moment and the same declaration that comes. He's not here. He is risen. Now, we've just come through the Easter weekend, which celebrates three key components, doesn't it? The death of Jesus, Good Friday, the burial of Jesus, and then Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Now, all three of those parts are important parts. But to me, in many ways, the final part, the resurrection, is the most important part. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying It was important that Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood for our sin. But if he'd not risen from the dead, it would have invalidated the other two things he'd done. Many people in that time were running around saying they were the son of God. Many people were claiming to be the Messiah. He wasn't the only one, but he was the only one to walk away from the grave. Every other self promoting Messiah, died but didn't rise again. Only one rose again, and that was Jesus Christ. And his resurrection validated that everything he said about himself was true, and everything that he said he'd come to achieve was true as well. You see, his resurrection proved he was the Son of God. His resurrection proved that the blood that he'd shed was full payment for the sin of the world. That's your sin, that's my sin. Sin that kept us separated from having a relationship with God. You see, the resurrection of the dead, that moment when God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus from dead. He was completely dead, three days dead. It wasn't a miracle of resuscitation. It was a miracle of resurrection. Because if it had been a miracle of resuscitation, there'd always be someone claiming he was partially alive. Maybe that's why it was left so long, so that every philosopher had to shut up and agree he was dead. Like the miracle of Lazarus, everybody was in agreement Lazarus was dead. So Jesus never brought a miracle of resuscitation to Lazarus, but a miracle of resurrection. And in the same way, on this Sunday morning, this Sunday morning that changed everything in history, there was no resuscitation. There was a full resurrection where the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and rose him 
up to newness of life. And he walked away from the tomb. Now, this is important because we need to understand that it was the resurrection of Jesus that proves that the father was satisfied with the payment of his blood. It took the blood of a perfect man to pay for the sins of an imperfect people. How do we know? Because of the resurrection. So something that we need to understand about this Easter weekend is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, not his own. You know, the thief on the cross turned to the mocking thief the other side. And he said these words, he says, hey, don't mock him. He's done nothing wrong. The reality of that Good Friday picture, three crosses on a hilltop, meant that two of the crosses had thieves on them and people that deserved to be there. But the cross in the middle had on it a person that had never done anything wrong, a person who had never sinned. A perfect God-man was on that center cross. Because if it had just been another man, you see, a guilty man couldn't pay for guilty people because he was guilty too, right? A sinful man couldn't pay for sinful people because he was no different to them, which meant he couldn't pay for their sin. Jesus was blameless. He was the son of God. He was born of a woman by virgin birth, but his father was God. He had a stepfather called Joseph who raised him. But Jesus Christ was the son of God. And it was only a perfect son of God that could pay for a fallen humanity. You see, Adam, before he sinned, was perfect. He'd been made by God and he was perfect. So that meant if it was a perfect man that got the whole human race into trouble, only a perfect person could get us out of trouble. If a perfect person, the first Adam, got us thrown out of the party, it would take a perfect last Adam, Jesus Christ, to bring us back in. So we understand that when we see Jesus on the cross, he wasn't paying for his own sin or shame. He was paying for yours and he was paying for mine. <clears throat> Peter records this well in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, we believe that the wounds of Jesus represent an expectation of healing in our body from sickness that comes against us. But this was a bigger healing than just that. The wound that was between God the Father and the humanity that he'd made in his image, that wound was removed by what Jesus did on the cross. Here's a good question, but I think it's a good question to ask on Easter weekend. Who was it that actually put Jesus on the cross? Hmm. Maybe your answer would be an angry crowd. It was an angry crowd that put Jesus on the cross. Maybe your answer would be, <clears throat> well, Romans and Pilots 
and, and the other Romans involved in that court case, that kangaroo court case, they're the ones who were guilty of putting Jesus on the cross. No, no, stop a moment. Number one, I believe it was God that put Jesus on the cross because there was no other way for God to see the payment of sin, the debt of sin removed than for his only beloved son to die on a cross. Come on, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only beloved son that whoever would believe in him shouldn't have to perish but could have everlasting life. He never sent his son into the world to condemn it but that the world would be saved through him. Amen? So God, out of his love for us, placed his son who had a choice but chose to go to the cross out of his love for us, God placed him on the cross. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Because only Jesus could remove the wound or the sin that separated us. But another way of looking at who put Jesus on the cross, we did. We did, each and every one of us. Not just because of sins we may have committed, but that inherent sin that was ours in Adam. The moment you were born, you were born disqualified and separated because all humanity finds its lineage through a fallen man, Adam, and a fallen woman, Eve. You say, well, I didn't even sin till I was 14. It doesn't matter. You were born in sin, and sin separated you from God. There was an issue of sin that separated you and me before you ever did anything wrong. But I'm pretty sure most of us didn't make it to 14 before we did our first thing wrong. See, Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and took our sins and sin, which was the nature of Adam, upon himself and made payment with it with his own blood. He took our sin, our shame, our wrongdoing, and made payment with the most expensive commodity that there's ever been in creation, his own blood. Let me read these verses to you from Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favour. Let me read you that from another translation, the NLT. It says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his own son and forgave all of our sins. So the reality is we couldn't save ourselves. That's why we need the message of the cross. No person was good enough. No person could do enough. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, it must be true because if there was any other way of sin being paid for than God's only son dying on a cross, don't you think that God would have taken that route? The law couldn't do it. Only Jesus Christ and his shed blood could remove the sin of humanity. Now, Jesus was sinless, 
And that's why he went to the cross as a sinless person. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. John the Baptist was with his disciples. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist saw Jesus, who was actually his cousin, and said, behold. He didn't say, behold, Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you understand Old Testament sacrifice, that makes a lot of sense. But wherever there was sin, a lamb had to be sacrificed for the sin of the people. But the lambs that were sacrificed, the animals could never take away the sin of a person, only cover it. But John looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away, who deals with the sin of humanity. What separated us from God? Sin. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross 2,000 years ago on that first Good Friday is what dealt with sin and removed the argument between us and the Father. We also need to remember that Jesus wasn't hijacked. He wasn't taken by surprise. He didn't go, oh, I didn't see that coming. But he knew the whole time that he walked the earth that the purpose he had come was to die on a cross. Yeah, we see him praying for the sick and seeing lepers healed, even raising the dead. But that wasn't his greatest mission or purpose. His mission and purpose was to come to the earth and make good the damage of Adam and bring us back into friendship and relationship, not religion, with God. Let me read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 20. See, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. I want you just to see how he knew it was going to happen. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. This is Jesus speaking. And they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, and flogged and then crucified and he will be raised on the third day Jesus was in no confusion and as the cross approached it's recorded that he said don't think for a moment that I couldn't call a legion of angels that's thousands and thousands of angels Jesus said don't think for a moment that I couldn't call a legion of angels and put an end to your mockery. Stop this. But all of you will remain separated. For this purpose, I must follow through in going to the brutal death of a cross. Now, his blood was shed, the blood of Jesus, was shed to settle the sin of man, the sin issue. How do we know his blood was enough so that we can have a confidence in our salvation. God doesn't want his children to be walking around wondering, will I go to heaven? Will I rise from the dead when I die? Is enough been done? Is my name in the Lamb's book of life? Have I done enough enough to, to see my sin forgiven and have an expectation that one day when I die or Jesus returns... I will go to heaven and be welcome in heaven. God doesn't want any believer walking around in that state of confusion. So what removes that state of confusion? 
the resurrection. The resurrection was many things. But one of the things that it was, was it was the invoice of God for payment fully made. See, if Jesus never rose from the dead, it would mean that his blood never satisfied the Father. And if the blood never satisfied the Father, we would still be in our sin and separated from the family of God. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that's why I said at the beginning, all components are important. The death means a lot. The burial means a lot. But without the resurrection, the other two parts would have been invalidated. But he did rise from the dead. That means that the Father looked at the blood that was shed on the cross out of love and said that blood is enough to make full payment for the sin of man that they had in Adam and any sin they did themselves. That blood is full payment, which means paid in full. People often have said to me, do you believe you'll go to heaven one day? I don't believe I know. I don't believe I know. Well, that's arrogant. No, I didn't say I know because I did anything. I know because Jesus Christ died on a cross and his resurrection means that the blood that he shed was the payment that satisfied the Father. Well, I'm not sure about the blood. Well, it doesn't matter if you're satisfied by it. What matters is that the Father was satisfied by it. And the moment he saw the blood of his son shed for the sin of man, he said, payment made, and he released the resurrection. And Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that awesome? Come on, when you walk into a shop, I haven't got my wallet with me today. I'm like the disciples, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I've got got not my wallet on me. But if I did, there's more invoices and receipts than there is money in there, so don't think you're missing out. But when you go to a shop, you go to a shop and you say, hey, I'd like that bottle of water. How much is that bottle of water? Depending where you are, if you're at a corner shop, it could be about 40p. If you're at a rock concert, it can be about 28 pound. Uh, It's the same glass, it's the same bottle of water, right? But let's just say that it's four pound. And I say, hey, I'd like that bottle of water. And the person behind the counter says, that's four pound. And I say, that's not a problem. And I reach into my pocket, I don't barter. I pay the full four pound. He takes the payment made. He gives me what I wanted. But then he gives me a piece of paper, a receipt, an invoice that says, this person has fully paid. They're not a shoplifter. They're not a trespasser. Nothing illegal has happened here. It's fully paid. That bottle of water fully belongs to this person. And if ever a policeman stops me in the street, the invoice says it's a settled deal. It's a settled debt. The resurrection of Jesus is the invoice that the debt of sin that separated you from God has been not paid, overpaid. All right, I'm going to have a swig of this water now. Oh, that's good. If I paid £28 for it at a rock concert, I still wouldn't think it was that good. But 
So the resurrection isn't just a component, it's a vital component. And this is what Paul was teaching when he was speaking to the Corinthian church. In the Corinthian church, there were sects of um, Christians or Jews that didn't believe in resurrection. I think some of the, the Sadducees, that's why they were Sadducee. Uh, thank you, here all week. And the Hellenists, they didn't believe in resurrection. So Paul turns up and he says, you better. And let me read his explanation because it's better than anything I could write. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 22. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people running around, Jewish people, saying there is no such thing as resurrection, not knowing the importance of it. And then Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, it's a waste of time, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That means it's a waste of time. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost as well. He's saying if there's no resurrection, payment hasn't been taken, which means you're wasting your time believing for salvation. And everyone that you said goodbye to at a graveside that died isn't there either. So Paul's like, all right, I'll lay this on thick. You've got to understand the power of this. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are people to be most pitied. He said, if, if our faith in Christ only benefits our life here, we should be among all people pitied because we're walking in hopelessness. Who wants some good news? Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of all who have fallen asleep because he rose Everyone who places faith in him will rise too. When you look at the first fruit, it's the first berry on the tree that announces more berries are coming. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's the first fruit, not of his resurrection alone, but ours also. And because he rose from the dead, we have a confidence that every loved one in our life that has gone before us is in heaven now, dancing on the streets of gold, praising him with the assembly of the people. This isn't a hope, it's a reality. Why? Because we have an invoice that says the payment that could stop it has been settled. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam, Mark 1, all die, so in Christ who is Adam, Mark 2, the final Adam. There isn't a third Adam. As all died in Adam, 
all can be made alive in Christ, not by works and chores, performance, but by placing faith in Jesus Christ, that when he died on a cross, he died for you, he died for your sin, he died to remove the argument between you and God so that you could be a part of the family of God receive a brand new life, a new creation, life that feels like you've been born again. It's faith in him. So why is this important? Let's get the band up. We're going to go out singing today. Why is this important? Well, a number of reasons, but here's my top three. Number one, if he had not risen from the dead, our sin would have been unsettled. And our faith would have been useless. We would be no different to anyone else that didn't believe in a saviour king. But the good news is, he has risen. Number two, because he's risen, we can now have an assurance and a confidence of our resurrection one day. When Jesus said, death, where is your sting? He wasn't just speaking of himself. Though all of us will have a moment when we lay down this earth suit to receive a glorified earth suit, when you begin to get a little bit older, you actually begin to look forward to that more than what you did when you were younger. When everything starts going north, you're like, hey, well, praise God, I haven't got this for eternity. I'm getting a new body. The last part of me to be glorified is my body. God will give me a new body. Amen. He makes all things new. But my confidence is one day, it doesn't matter how much oil of you lay, I could use. I could bathe in it. I can't stop this thing death dying. But I'm not dying. He's made me alive on the inside. Which means I can say to death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Oh, I will die, but I won't stay dead. I will go to the grave, but I won't stay in there. Why? Because Jesus cut the path of the route that we would follow whenever it came to that moment. And number three, I know we're going to speak about this in around 50 days because you had Passover. 50 days later, you had Pentecost. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we could have no expectation of the Holy Spirit being sent from heaven to come and live in our lives. Now don't worry, you'll know when we get to Pentecostal Sunday, you'll know it, you'll hear me from miles away. Because when Jesus Christ gave his blood to the Father, the Father said, I'm satisfied with the payment. One of the next things that happened was he sent his spirit, not to rise Jesus from the dead, because he'd already done that, but to come and live in the hearts of his people so Jesus didn't just save us he put his ability and his life in us all of these things are orbit around this moment called resurrection thanks be to God today it's not just a catchy phrase that people have used for 2,000 years but it's a declaration of truth he is risen risen indeed he is risen risen indeed he 
is risen. Risen indeed. Never to die again. Amen. We give you praise, Jesus. <clears throat> Maybe you're here today and you say, I want to have a confidence that I'll go to heaven one day. I, I want to know Jesus walking with me in this life. I, I want some of the joy that I feel in the people in this place. I'm confused. I want a clear way forward. The good news is you can have every one of those things and more. And all you need to do is place faith in Jesus Christ. Sola fide, faith alone. The Bible declares all a person needs to do to be saved, to have their sins forgiven, washed away, to receive the Holy Spirit in their life and to know that one day death won't hold them, but heaven is their true home. It's to come to the cross and say, Jesus, on that Friday, you went to that cross for me. Come to that grave. You were buried in that tomb for me. See the stone rolled away. Jesus, on the third day, you rose from the dead for me. I believe in you. Be my Lord and Saviour. Such a simple prayer that will change everything. On this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday morning, could we just pray that prayer all over this house today, from the front to the back, from the left to the right? Would you just pray a simple prayer with me? Just a simple prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for paying for my sin, so I could have a new life and a relationship with you. I call you Saviour. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let everything change today. Amen. Just mind every head's bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer and you say, I prayed that prayer for me, Andy. I mean that. I prayed that prayer. I believe in Jesus. Suddenly I believe in Jesus. I want you to do one thing for me, please. I want to ask you when I count to three, if you prayed that prayer because you're giving your life to Jesus today, you prayed that prayer because you're coming back to God today. I want you to do one thing for me. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. Don't hold back. It doesn't matter who you came with. They can't get you to heaven. It's your faith in Jesus that matters right now. Will you demonstrate that faith by putting your hand, when I say three, boldly in the air? One two, three. If that's you, pop your hand up. God bless you. I see those two hands at the back. God bless you. Anybody else to say, I need Jesus? Anyone else today? You say, I need Jesus. Two people have lifted their hands. Is there a third person? How about over here to my left? In the centre here, there's a third person. Is there a fourth person? You say, me too. Me too, Andy. I need Jesus. There's a fourth person. Lift your hand nice and high so I know you mean it. There's a fourth person right there. God bless you. There's a fifth person right there. God bless you. Hands are going up all over this place. Is there another 
another one. There's another one over here. God bless you. God bless you. That's number six. Is there a seventh person? You say, I need Jesus too. God bless you. I see that hand over there. There's number seven. On this Resurrection Sunday, is there an eighth person? Is there someone else that will say, I give my life to this Jesus today? I feel him in this place. I give my life to this Jesus today. Is there an eighth person? Come on, time is getting short. We can't play around anymore. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ will return for those who belong to him. And those who belong to him are those who saw him on the cross and said, be my saviour. Is there an eighth person? I'm going to count it down from five. Don't get left behind. God bless you. There's the eighth person. Where's number nine? Come on, I'm going to start counting down in a minute. Where's number nine? Today, everything could change in your world. Today, everything could change. Everything could change. God will hear that prayer one more time. Is there a ninth person? I'm going to count it down, then I'm going to pray. Five, four, anybody else? Three, anybody else? Two, there's a little hand. I'm not going to miss that little hand right there, right there, right there. That little princess with the beads in her hair, right there, number nine. You're never too young to give your life to Jesus. You're never too old. Come on, we're so close to number 10. We're so close. Come on, come on, number 10. Where's number 10? What you got to lose? You got no- Where's number 10? Someone's wife. There's number 10. Come on. Yeah. Oh, this is the stuff that makes me happy. This is the stuff that causes heaven to rejoice. Forgive me for being cheeky. Number 11. Just in case you're out there. Just in case you're out there. Number 11, please. If you're out there, this is your moment. You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. All right, I'm going to count it down. Five, four. Three, don't be scared to interrupt me. Two, one. Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon every person that's lifted their hand this morning. Every person that said, I want you, Jesus. Let your spirit come upon them in power and in life right now. In Jesus' name.